0: how do i know what i think until i see what i say
1: the green notebook carried by military leaders around the world within those pages are sweat tears triumphs and the hard-won lessons of life lessons worth sharing each week, the team dives into the notebooks of military leaders, business professionals, authors, athletes and coaches, and entertainers to share lessons and help you lead with the best version of yourself.
0: Hey, it's Joe here, and every morning before I crack open a book or sit down to do some writing, the first thing I do is brew an amazing cup of Alpha coffee. They make premium 100% arabica coffee, and Alpha has some of my favorite blends. They have Don Patrol, which is a nice medium light breakfast blend. I also enjoy Charlie Don't Surf, which is a medium Kona blend, and I even get to take Alpha coffee to work with me because they also make k-cups. Not only do they have great coffee, They're a great veteran-owned business who has shipped over 20,000 bags of coffee to deploy troops. They also offer a 10% discount to members of the military and first responders. And Alpha Coffee has been an awesome company to partner with at From the Green Notebook. So taste the Alpha difference and purchase their coffee today at www.alpha.coffee or via Amazon Prime. Welcome to another episode of From the Green Notebook. I'm your host, Joe Byerly, and this week we're diving into the Green Notebook of Dr. Cassie Holmes. Dr. Holmes is the author of Happier Hour, How to Beat Distraction, Expand Your Time, and Focus on What Matters Most. She's also a professor at UCLA's Anderson School of Management and an award-winning teacher and researcher of time and happiness. In this episode, we talk about the factors that determine our level of happiness and how we can take control of some of them and start living more fulfilling lives. If you're busy like me working 70-plus hour work weeks, you've got to check out her book after you listen. There is so much wisdom in this episode, and even more in her book, Happier Hour. So get out your green notebooks, and please welcome to the show, Dr. Cassie Holmes.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's such a treat to join you, Joe.
0: I'm looking forward to this interview, Dr. Holmes. The first question I have is, what drew you to studying happiness, which seems like a very nebulous concept?
1: Um it is perhaps nebulous but certainly an important one. I started studying happiness in my PhD program. Actually I was doing my PhD in marketing at Stanford's Graduate School of Business and I was spending as a PhD student spending so much time working, studying, conducting my research. I would spend days and it's a very sort of solo endeavor days <laughs> where I would be sort of working day and night and not see anyone and at some point I think three years into my program I'm like oh my gosh do I care about what I'm studying and the thing that I was studying at that point being a marketing student was figuring out how do you present options to individuals so that I, my dependent variable was so that they're satisfied with the choice that they make. But at that point, I was looking at their satisfaction with what coffee they chose, what magazine they selected, and investing so much of my time in understanding this. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I care about <laughs> their satisfaction with their coffee. What I care about is their satisfaction with their choices more generally. And then so what I, Figured is I want people to be happy with their choices more generally, in particular, how they spend their time, their happiness with their life overall. So instead of dropping out of the PhD program, I actually just shifted my research agenda to look at satisfaction with choice, but at a grander scale satisfaction with our lives overall. As someone who is happy and has been working to be happy. I wanted to figure out how can we inform all individuals in this pursuit so that I felt satisfied in the work that I was doing, having invested so much of my time and effort and energy and everything to understanding and studying this.
0: And then, like in addition to the book, which is you know a lot, uh, which encapsulates a lot of the studies, the research that you've done. You also teach a course at UCLA on this, right?
1: Yeah. So in my PhD program, I started studying and researching happiness, but I was teaching and in my first job out of my PhD program, I was teaching more traditional marketing courses like brand management, advertising. And at some point I was like, oh my gosh, I want to actually teach what I know about. And I you know, have published a bunch of papers on the topic of happiness and realizing that, unfortunately, while my colleagues read academic papers, the general public does not. And there's so many insights that could benefit people that aren't making it to a broader audience. So I decided that I would develop a course pulling these insights, these empirically-based insights from my research, from my colleagues, Um, on the topic of happiness, so that my students could apply them. So I developed this course for our MBAs and our executive MBAs at Anderson, applying the science of happiness to life design, so that they could do exactly that. I could teach them the science. And I also have assignments each week where they experience these exercises. And with the first half of the course, understanding How can they optimize the time that they spend in their day-to-day life so that they feel fulfilled and happy? Um, And then in the second part of the course, I think about how do they optimize their professional lives and then shift to their lives overall, grappling with big questions like purpose and meaning with the understanding and really the thesis of the book is that the way we invest our time And it starts with an hour, but those hours ladder up to your days, your years, and your life overall. It's how we invest that particular resource that makes us feel happy. And you mentioned that it's a nebulous idea, but it's actually easy to measure and easy to understand. What I mean by happiness is the joy we feel in the day-to-day, sort of our emotion, our positive as opposed to negative affect over the course of the day-to-day, but also this evaluation of our lives. So when I ask you, how satisfied are you in your life? Your answer to that is reflective of your emotional state, your emotional well-being. And the course has been amazing and so fun because I get to see as students are going through these exercises and I have them write these reflection pieces And so I can see how they experience these exercises. And then at the end of the course, hearing the impact. So actually I measure their happiness, the sense of meaning, their sense of connectedness before the course even starts, as well as at the end. And every time I teach the course, the average happiness, sense of meaning, connection increases over the course of the quarter, and it's only ten weeks, so it has a wonderful effect.
0: <laughs> I love that, and for me, when I read your book, the stuff that I've been doing on my own, like looking at you know ancient stoicism, uh, you know, just, just looking at a bunch of different studies out there, and just kind of testing stuff with myself, like it was very validating for me. Because that was, you're
1: in line with the science. Yeah, yeah. I was
0: like, <laughs> got lucky there. Um, but it, yeah, I mean, it's just one of the things is the importance of being deliberate. Yeah, with your time because it's it's so easy. I feel like for time to just kind of get away from us, especially now that we have uh, you know social media and smartphones at our at our fingertips. You know, you can sit down and start looking at like Instagram reels or, or TikTok and lose like an hour of your life. And have nothing to show for it afterwards, yeah. you know so I'm curious, like does it matter you know what job you have in life or you know how much money you make like what are some of the factors that you found that contribute to a, a person's happiness?
1: yeah, and it's interesting because that's actually how I start off the course. I tell them I'm like, all right guys, what do you think influences your happiness and Oftentimes, the assumption is that it is money. So a lot of my students are getting their MBA because they want to make more money. So if only I had a lot of money, then I would be happy. If only I were super gorgeous, then I would be happy. If only I found the love of my life and got married, then I would be happy. People believe that these circumstances have a significant and lasting effect on their happiness. And they even when they have a significant initial effect They don't have a lasting effect because we adapt to our circumstances. We sort of stop noticing (laughs) the impact of them as um, we're living in those circumstances day to day. So those circumstances do have an effect, but a significantly smaller effect than we anticipate. The other things that play in our inherited disposition. So, you know, were you born? sort of naturally or chronically a more positive person where you see the glasses half full, or are you more of a natural grump? Your personality does play a role. Now, the fun part is that there's this other chunk of factors that play a role. And so while we don't have control or over our personality or natural disposition, you know, our inherited temperament, we don't have immediate control over our life circumstances like income level, like marital status, like how attractive you are. The thing that we do have control over is how we spend our time and our sort of mindset in the day-to-day and that that sort of group is your deliberate thinking behavior has influence on our happiness, how happy we feel in the day-to-day, as well as how satisfied we feel about our lives overall. And so that's the chunk that I'm super interested in because that's the part we have control over. And that's the part that our learnings, like, you know, it sounds like you've been trying on these things to make yourself feel better in the day-to-day. And that's, these are the exercises that I have my students have of how do you spend your time the day to day and i suspect we'll get to this later on but for instance exercise <laughs> that is an activity that has a positive effect on our mood on our self-esteem the time that we spend on social media while it sucks up actually a lot of our time as you mentioned you know you think you're just gonna check real quick spend a couple of minutes but in time tracking studies you actually realize that you're spending tens of hours each week on that. Um, social media ha- has not been shown to have a positive effect on well-being. And in some cases depending on how you use social media, if you use it more passively just to watch other people's lives instead of actively to connect and stay connected with the uh, folks that are you have relationships with, the typical use of social media has been shown to have a negative effect on how we feel. Um, studies show that it makes us feel more lonely. Through social comparison, it makes us feel worse about ourselves. And then from my perspective, in terms of how we spend our time, it sucks up and makes a lot of time that we already feel like we don't have enough time wasted. And then it also makes us feel time poor. I don't know if you want me to get into that now because I know you have <laughs> questions no, let's later. Just, we'll let's just
0: roll with it. You. you brought it up. You now you have to go there.
1: <laughs> yeah. Time poverty. This is a bad thing. This is the feeling of having too much to do and not enough time to do it. And it feels stressful actually getting into this work. My sense of time poverty, my feeling of the stress and pressure and feeling overwhelmed by trying to keep up with my job and publishing and you know teaching and all those sort of pressures having a young family and trying to take care of my kids trying to be a good partner trying to be a good friend trying to continue to be healthy by exercising i felt like there was again too much to do and i didn't have enough time to do it and one of the things that that feeling gets exacerbated by social media, and actually the presence of our iPhones, because this feeling of we have expectations that we can and should be doing a lot more and every second. And of course, we don't have enough time to do all those things. And as we're looking, you know, at the wonderful lives and the, you know, events and experiences that everyone is having at that very moment, we're like, oh my gosh, I should be and could be doing that as well. Of course, you don't have time to do that. At every second, you know, with your iPhone, you can getting your chores done by, you know, ordering your kids' school supplies or signing them up for something. There's always stuff that you can be checking off your to-do list on your phone. And so you feel like you should be doing stuff at every moment. And so just that sort of constant ability to be doing things and recognition that there are these things that we can be doing. It changes our expectations of how we should be spending our time. And of course, there aren't enough hours in the day to do that, all of those things. And so then we have to become, as you said, more deliberate.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So it's like I'm sitting here like, oh, great. The Holmes family is going on another picnic. Yeah. Must be nice. They have all this time. And then I sit there for another hour on my iPhone, just continuing to scroll. And the time that could have gone somewhere and had lunch outdoors.
1: Right, exactly, and while the Holmes family might be having a picnic at that instance, we obviously aren't always, but your other friends, you know the Schmols family will be having you know doing something else another time, so in terms of all the people that you have all the lives that you're having a window into, there is constantly someone doing something fun that you are not doing because you're doing your chores, and actually, you're not doing it because you're on your phone looking at them living their lives, but Yes. So social media changes our concept of what we can and should be doing at every moment.
0: And that's something that I found in the past that I was I was doing the exact thing that you were talking about is looking at other people's lives and just kind of like letting it take me down, you know, dark corners when I could be just doing other things instead of that. And so I guess a question I have is what role does knowing yourself knowing the things that give you energy, that like make you happy. Like when you're talking to your students about structuring their time, structuring their weeks, how important is that self-knowledge before, you know, embarking on some of this?
1: So we can rely on research for a lot of it. So what the research is doing is looking across people and on average for a given activity How positive or negative does it make people in general feel? And so this is using time tracking studies, where it's tracking people over the course of their days, what are they doing and how are they feeling while doing it? And again, from that, you can identify for the average person, the average time that they're working, how positive or negative do they feel? But I have my students in the second two weeks of class actually track their own time, so that they, for those two weeks, are tracking how they're spending their time and rating on a one to 10 scale, how they're feeling. And so this is collecting personalized data, so that at at the end of those two weeks, they can calculate for them, looking across their activities, what are those activities that, for them, produce the most positive emotion? And not just like, It felt fun in the moment, but these ratings are also picking up on general sort of sense of fulfillment and satisfaction while engaging in that activity, as well as what are those activities that are actually consistently associated with the most negative emotions for themselves. And also with this data, not only can you identify the types of activities that produce more happiness and less happiness, but you can also see how much time you're spending on those activities. So, you know, we had already talked about the role of social media. One of my students calculated that I think she spent 15 hours a week on social media and she was shocked by this. First of all, she was shocked that it was in terms of their ha- the average happiness ratings, it was very mediocre, it was right there in the middle. Uh, She, on an average, like a five on the 10 point scale, but she spent a lot of time doing it. Meanwhile, she also identified, you know, what are those activities that were associated the most, like sort of made her feel most happy. And it was like going to dinner with her sister. How much time did she spend on that? Well, you know, one hour, because that was an activity that she's like, oh, I'm really busy as a student. I'm really busy in my job. I don't have time to do this. This thing that actually makes me happy. Meanwhile, she's spending, you know, 15 hours on a very mediocre, you know, not worthwhile way of spending. So this data that you can collect for yourself, and I have a worksheet on my website, as well as in the book, I uh, sort of walk through in more detail how to conduct a time tracking sort of study on yourself so that you get this personalized information for yourself. So you can see, for instance, Joe, like if you're like, oh, I don't have a lot, you know, I don't have time to exercise, but you realize that when you do exercise, not only, you know, do you feel better during that time, but you actually see your ratings on the subsequent activities is higher. You're like, okay, maybe it is worth investing that time because it makes me happy during it and that has these wonderful spillover effects. So there's a lot to be said about personalized data. There's also a lot to be said, for instance, in the time tracking research, they identified that the most negative activities or the activities that on average associated with the most uh, least positive emotion are commuting work and housework work is an interesting one because we spend so much of our weeks working but again it's not a question of averages if like you are looking all right what are the hours during work that i feel the most positive what are the hours during a work that feel most wasteful and therefore negative that also is informative cuz you can instead of sort of blanket statement like oh work is bad it's actually like what aspects of your work are fulfilling aspects of your work are wasteful. And then you can think about, do I need to spend the time on those wasteful ways, or can you actually um, sort of reallocate those hours to more worthwhile activities?
0: Yeah. There's so many things there that I think about when, when you were talking about that, like one, I remember, you know, one of the things that I do every day to kind of ground myself. And I, I talked about it with Jennifer Moss was, you know, I I wake up in the morning and I read and reflect for just a little bit of time. But recently, like my schedule got completely turned upside down. I deployed overseas in response to stuff going on in the world. And all of a sudden, like I didn't have my time wasn't my own anymore. Mm-hmm. And so there's actually a term for it that somebody coined, but um, it's called time confetti. And it's those little slivers of time throughout the day that we just kind of just waste that you mm-hmm. can fit those activities that give you energy. And so what I found was that, like, on a 20 minute helicopter ride, or, you know, like five, 10 minutes before a briefing, I was able to just open a book and read, you know, just for little snippets of time throughout the day. But what was interesting, I found out at the end of it was all that time added up to an entire book. Actually, it was mm-hmm. like two and a half books that I was able to finish during that period of time, taking advantage of that. But I think it was because, like, at this point in my own journey, I'd figured out like, what are those activities like fitness, reading, reflect, they give me energy and then mm-hmm. figuring out where to fit it in my day when my schedule was just all over the place.
1: Yeah. And that's a great sort of hack for yourself and interest, as I mentioned in the time tracking research, commuting is one of the activities I associate with the most negative emotion because people are sort of Waiting through it, like in itself, it feels like a waste of time and therefore really negative. But if you use that time purposefully, like reading, or if you commute by uh, driving, listening to an audiobook. So, you know, when we talked about time poverty, people feel like they don't have enough time to do X. I don't have enough time to read for pleasure. But if that 20 minute commute to work, you're listening to an audio book over a couple of weeks, you will finish that book. And, or as you said, like if there's other sort of like waiting time in your day, whether it's like 10 minutes in line for something and you have your, you know, earbuds in and the, the book on your phone. So technology and access to our phones is not only that, it gives us access to these things that we also do want to do like read and so in the book I refer to research on bundling where you bundle unfun activity that you have to do like commuting like housework maybe like unloading the dishwasher or you know folding the laundry and bundle it with an activity you do enjoy like reading like talking to a friend you know so you can like on your commute Maybe if you don't want to listen to an audiobook, give your friend a call, you know, call your mom. It makes that time more enjoyable, more fulfilling, more enriching. And it's not just a waste. And there are these sort of pockets throughout our day that we can bundle. There are negative times that aren't just pockets that they sort of fill up a bunch of time. How can you bundle those with sort of features of activities that you know are really fulfilling and worthwhile to make those hours fulfilling and feeling fulfilling and worthwhile.
0: I actually, after reading your book, I went back and like looked at my own time, and so I figured out that I spend four hundred and fifty minutes a week commuting. That's thirty hours a month, and the average audiobook is ten hours long. So that's a great point. Is in theory, I could finish three books a month just commuting, or like I found in driving, like the morning commute is when I usually do that mm-hmm. or I'll use it, you know, reflection's really important to me, or I'll just turn off the car stereo and just like think through some stuff on the way to work. And then on the way home, cause it's, you know, when people are actually awake, cause we have to, we have to get to work way too early in the morning. Um, <laughs> but like when people are actually awake, yeah, I do have those conversations. I'll call a friend um, mm-hmm. and, you know, work through some, an idea that I'm having or, or work through something I encountered at work and, you know, just to get somebody else's perspective on it. But yeah, I I realized that I I took advantage of the time and I, I actually, I volunteered the other day to do more grocery shopping because I'll just put in an audio book and walk around the grocery store. But after not completing the list, like I'll miss (laughs) like two or three key items every time I've been, (laughs) I've been banned from it. So maybe that's not a a good place for me to time bundle.
1: Yes. But You know, even though you missed those few items, at least you were volunteering and that time was more enjoyable. Yeah. So the thing that I think you're picking up on is what you weren't doing on that commute, which people typically do, is that sort of mindless scrolling. Whether it's like scrolling through the radio stations or if you commute by bus or subway or scrolling through the phone, it's just mindless. It's just filling without being fulfilling. Right. And so if you can just be thoughtful and deliberate, I mean, listening to podcasts, like (laughs) that's another way that you could make your commute time or your waiting time or your grocery shopping time, despite messing up on not getting everything on the list. It's a way to make that time enriching.
0: Something else too, that you talk about in the book is the importance of rituals Mm -hmm. in our lives. Could you expand a little bit of that in the podcast?
1: yeah so one of the ways to make our hours happier is turning what's routine into ritual and that is shifting something that's sort of like a mindless habit into something that is very mindful and special. And so the example I gave in the book and and, and I guess the reason going back a little bit to the psychology the reason this is so important is because, of hedonic adaptation so when we are exposed to a stimuli over and over we adapt to it and this is really good when bad stuff happens because we can adapt to it it stops to hurt quite as much but it's on the flip side it's it's not great that we hedonically adapt because we also adapt to good stuff we stop noticing it as much I mean, you can think about this in all domains and particularly with respect to your relationships that sort of seeing these people that, you know, you love, these are your favorite people in the entire world. Like, you know, if you are married, like the person, like the love of your life, so much so that you chose to spend your life with them, you know, day in and day out, it's easy to stop noticing, you know, like you can think of the very first time your partner told You, they loved you. And it's like, you know, your heart is bursting like, oh my gosh, there's nothing that could ever be that amazing. And then five years on, you know, love you is like a way to just sort of say goodbye as you're walking out the door. Like those words don't have that same emotional impact. And so through hedonic adaptation, these things become so everyday that we assume that they will continue happening every day. And so we adapt to them, we stop noticing them as much. And routine is something that is adaptable because it means that we don't have to be thinking so much about every single thing we do. It allows us to get through our days in an effective and efficient way. But by making it so that we aren't focusing, it means that we also fail to notice. so it was a big build up too why turning routines into rituals are so effective is it because it draws your attention to something that is very positive in your day and celebrates it. So the example that I share in my book is my morning coffee date with my daughter. So this started as part of a routine. So on Thursday mornings I was in charge of driving my elementary school son, carpool. And so my little preschool daughter would sort of be along for the ride and we would drop off the big kids. And then on my way to my office and her preschool was right next to my office, I wanted to stop and get coffee. So it was really motivated by a very functional routine thing of me getting caffeine on the way into work and the way into dropping her off. But Over time, we turned it into a ritual. It wasn't just stopping for coffee. We would stop. (laughs) Like we would stop the day and I would sort of put away my phone. I would quiet my mind on all the things that I had to do coming up. And it was the time for just the two of us to be together. And so it turned into a ritual. So a Thursday morning coffee date. We would as soon as the big kids would get out of the car, we would even have our songs. It's like, okay, it's time to play the songs that we always play. And then we stop at the coffee shop, the hipster baristas who <laughs> had finally, you know, like come to smile at us as opposed to be annoyed that we were like totally wrecking the cool vibe. They came to sort of ha- be part of the ritual. And then we'd order the same things. And it was this special time that we treasured and cherished. And so there is no way that I am going to schedule a meeting that would conflict with it. Afterwards, we sort of talk about it. We take pictures to sort of commemorate it and memorialize it. So something that's just 30 minutes has such an impact on my overall experience that week because through the anticipation through the paying attention during and through the reflecting on afterwards that special quality time has a supreme influence on how connected I feel and therefore how happy I feel so you know you can turn anything from a routine into ritual whether even if it's your like own morning coffee maybe that's something you ritualize into your time for reflection maybe it is cooking dinner on thursday nights with your partner if you know that's something that you guys commit to getting home and doing this instead of it being routine if you turn it into a ritual then it makes it special it makes you pay attention and it makes you treasure and celebrate and cherish that time
0: i love that story from the book and then like you said even as you you know, like is your schedule shifted around to where Thursdays were no longer <laughs> yeah. available, right? You like moved it to a Sunday before the boys woke up, yeah, um, just so you could continue. Do you still do that now?
1: We do, and it's still called the Thursday morning coffee day, even though it's on Sunday morning because that's what the ritual is. And even though it has shifted because now my daughter is in elementary school, and so she also gets dropped off in that carpool. Um, But that time that we had, and actually we've since moved and now it's a different coffee shop, but that time of that special time, the two of us, you know, eating our croissants, we still eat croissants and she still drinks her hot chocolate. That's the thing that is treasured. And so we still have our coffee dates. Even actually, I will say there have been a couple of Sundays where we haven't been able to um, because the whole family is getting up to go do something. And then we will find another time in the week, like a time that we have our date where it's sometimes it's even dinner, but we still call it our Thursday morning coffee date, because that's the sort the, of the crux of it is the ritual of that time that we share together.
0: You told several stories in the book, but that, that was one of the stories that really resonated with me because two years ago, when I got back from Afghanistan, One of the things that we would do in Afghanistan that we looked forward to every Sunday was this, we called it fitness opportunities. And it was where the whole camp came together, um, you know, about 150, 200 people. And we all worked out. We all pushed each other. And it was like a specifically, like, it, it was the same thing every single Sunday. There was like an opening talk, a walk through all the obstacles. We would do the workout. And then the commander would speak. For a few minutes afterwards, every single Sunday, it was something that kind of like you look forward to. And so when I got back and we no longer had that, we started family fitness opportunities where every single weekend we do the exact same thing that I did in Afghanistan with my now 12 year old and four year old and my wife. And it's the same thing every single week. And even when like something's going on to where, you know, there's a sporting event or whatever, we will find another day to come together it's like a 45 minute family workout and uh (laughs) and we take pictures during it to memorialize it and so you know we've been doing that almost every single weekend now for two years and it's become like in a very important part of like who we are now granted there's like arguments and there's you know 12 year old son why are we doing this our four-year-old daughter knows it like before she can get pancakes she has to do the the family workout so it's just been it's just been a great experience for us whereas i think before we kind of took our weekends took the time together on the weekends for granted and this is something like very specific very deliberate we do to to come together
1: yeah and that's fantastic and there is research that shows that families that have traditions holiday traditions are more likely to gather over the holidays and they enjoy the holidays more than those that don't have those traditions. And in the case of rituals, you can see the connecting effect. So even though your son's like, why do we have to do this? I am sure that if, you know, later, if you guys stop doing it, or if he sort of misses a couple of weekends, he will miss it. And then there's that sort of the happiness that comes from sort of rejoining. And it is that it increases a sense of belonging because you have that connection around this shared experience that you can rely on, you can anticipate. Um, and so it connects you together and it connects you guys together across time. So it's a really powerful thing. And I think another really powerful sort of piece of it is that what you realize is that for happiness that follows from time. It's not so much about quantity as it is about quality. So it's just an hour workout each week that I suspect has a very big impact on your general sense of connection between you guys and your happiness. Um, social connection and a sense of belonging is a uh, I would say one of the biggest contributors to happiness and emotional well-being, um, and so to the extent that you are spending time deliberately in that way, you guys are all focused on it while doing it. That has a very big impact on how you feel for the rest of the week.
0: I think that's such a important thing. Is like doing the time activity, the you're like your own personal time data collection. You know, looking at those activities that that do exactly what you say, that kind of puts you in a better mood, that kind of give you energy, actually knowing what those are. And, you know, that was, for me, I think, one of the biggest benefits of journaling is Mm -hmm. the ability to write, like writing down every single day is I can go back and look over time and start to see those patterns emerge of this is periods of time where I'm completely drained and here's periods of time where like I just feel fulfilled and then deliberately put more of those.
1: Right. Yeah. And you're like, all right, why, what, what's missing during the days during those periods where you do feel drained. And, you know, uh, for me, it's generally when I stop exercising because I feel like I don't have time, but once that's out of my schedule as really negative effects, and then I don't have energy, And you know, like there's all these sort of things that follow from that. So it is really helpful to identify for yourself, what are those energy givers? Um, what are those ways of spending time that you need to fuel yourself for all of the other time that you spend to sort of be at your best?
0: Yeah. And just a quick note for listeners, I- I'm telling you, Dr. Holmes's exercises that she has throughout the book, if you're like, how do I even get started? She lays it out for you across the book. So if you're kind of struggling with this concept, she makes it very easy to do. All you have to do is do the work, and yeah, uh, <laughs> and it's
1: little work. It's not yeah. like life changing, like go quit your job and move somewhere. It is like what are little tweaks that you can do, and they're surprisingly effective for being as small and easy. I guess as they are, it's just you need to be informed of what those are and. Do the work, do the exercise so that you can see the effects and that's motivating. It's like, oh, this is worth it. I will continue doing this like exercise, like being nice to people, like (laughs) protecting the time for your coffee date or your family workout.
0: Yeah. So could you talk about the, you tell the story in the book too, about the time jar. Um, Could you share that real quick?
1: yeah. This is an analogy that I continue to touch back on um, when figuring out how to spend my own time. And it's really about prioritization. So, in the first day of my class, I always show this video. And what it is, it's Professor Man with gray hair and glasses. He looks very professorial and like me. (laughs) He's like, smiley woman, is she a professor? Anyway, the professor walks into the classroom and he pulls out this big, clear jar and puts it on the desk. And then the students are like, all right, that's weird. And then he has this bag and from the bag, he pulls out a bunch of golf balls and he fills the jar with golf balls so that the golf balls sort of reach the very top. And he asks the students, is the jar full? And they're like, yeah. He's like, "Uh uh-huh. And then he goes back into the bag and he pulls out a bunch of pebbles and he pours the pebbles into the jar. And so the pebbles sort of fill the spaces between the golf balls up to the top of the jar. And he asks the students again, is the jar full? And they're like, yeah. And then he goes back into his bag and pulls out uh, sort of some sand and he pours the sand into the jar and the sand sort of fills in those crevices and those spaces between the golf balls, between the pebbles. And he asks the student, you know, by this point, they're laughing. Like, is the jar full? He's like, <laughs> yes, it's clearly full. There's nothing else you can put in it. And then he pulls out from his bag, two beers, bottles of beer and he opens one of the beers and he pours one of the beers over into the jar sort of over the sand. And then he takes the other one, opens it and sort of walks to the front of the desk and takes a sip. And he explains, he's like, the jar is your life. The golf balls are the important things. These are the things for, you know, the me, my morning coffee date with my daughter, for you, the workout with your, your team or your family, These are the things that really matter to you. These are the things that matter most, that bring you most joy, that give you most energy. The pebbles are also important. These are the things that you sort of are part of your life that you have to do. The sand is everything else. The sand is all the stuff that sort of fills your time, like social media, for instance. This is the stuff that fills your time. And notably, if you put the sand in first, the golf balls wouldn't all fit. If you put the sand and then the pebbles, the golf balls certainly wouldn't fit. And so this is about prioritization because you have to put the golf balls in first and then you can fill the other with sand, that's fine. But if you are just reactive and sort of not think, not deliberate, and there are always requests coming in, there's always things that can sort of fill your time but it doesn't mean that that time is fulfilling. It doesn't mean that that is worthwhile. And so you wanna make sure that your time doesn't get filled with sand and that you prioritize the golf balls and then the sand can sort of fill in and those other places. And then one of the students asked, well, professor, what about the beer? And he's like, oh, (laughs) I'm glad you asked. This goes to show that no matter how busy you are, you always have time for a beer with a friend. And I think that that also makes a point, you have to prioritize, but then there's these things that no matter how busy you are, you have to make the time for, these are the really important things in your life. And in all cases for that sort of ultimately what matters, it's the people. It's the people that you love, that you care about, that are on your team you know, in whatever way you frame what your team is. So I think it's a helpful analogy to make sure that we don't let our days get filled with sand because it's so often that's the case. And that's where that sense of time poverty comes into play. We feel like we don't have enough time because other stuff that's not fulfilling is spending our time. But you can think back on those weeks where you feel really busy, but actually you come out of it feeling energized and Good, you're still busy, but it's at least there are those things that you have done that have felt purposeful, that have felt worthwhile, that have felt connecting, that have given you energy.
0: I think that was like one of the biggest takeaways of your book is that like you don't have to go, like you said, like leave your job and go move to like a beach somewhere in South America and like live out of a shack and like you're going to find happiness. It's about like knowing what's important to you and then not allowing the sand to interrupt your life. You know, we talked about the beginning of the show on a micro level, we'll be sitting there scrolling through social media and then all of a sudden lose 45 minutes to an hour. And then I think on a macro level, we do the same thing. Like when you look at all the time we wasted, like either, you know, watching TV, not even even like watching our favorite shows, just like flipping channels or looking at social media or just kind of like sitting around doing something you know, whatever, we could be those golf balls in our lives, like the, the things that, that give us meaning, the you know, sense of uh, purpose. Like we could be doing those things, but they just kind of get away from us.
1: Yeah. And in the book, I do sort of lead to, uh, you know, initially talking about hour by hour. The book is called Happier Hour because it's how to make each hour happier. But the purpose of the book is how to make your life overall, more fulfilling. So that like looking back on years, not just hours, looking back on years, you don't feel regret. Hours pass, but those hours, eventually it's like years pass. And so how do you make sure that those years also aren't sandy, right? And so I have another exercise that I have folks do in the book, which I think is initially, you know, might sound really depressing, but I actually think it's really motivating is having, well, that's a, there's actually two in things <laughs> right now. One is the second to last class, I have my students write their own eulogy and it's pretty intense, right? So this is what it will be said about you after you've passed, um, after you've lived your life. And while, you know, initially students are sort of, depressed thinking like oh my gosh i will one day die what what it really is doing it's not an exercise about death it's an exercise about life of how do you want to be remembered what matters to you in your life how do you want to be described and these higher level ideals and values of how you want to be remembered what you want people to say about you how you want to have existed in their minds and in their hearts that is a big guidepost for how we spend our hours. And so thinking about years overall, and actually in some of my research, we've developed an individual difference scale. of To what extent do people take a bird's eye view of their time? So to what extent do they think of their time in terms of years versus day-to-day hours? And we find that those who take this higher, more elevated perspective of time, or this sort of broader view of time, thinking in terms of years instead of hours, that they actually are happier and more satisfied and have a greater sense of meaning. And it's because they spend their hours better. They spend in terms of what's important, what matters to them, as opposed to just what's urgent. Oftentimes, sand fills because it feels urgent. There's these sort of tasks that are presented to us, regardless of how important they are, just the urgency makes us attend to them and spend our time on them. And so it's really important to take that perspective of what life do I want to live? Who do I want to be in a broader sense? So that that keeps at the forefront of your mind what is important so that you spend your time accordingly. And all going back to your very initial point in our conversation together it's about being deliberate. It's about being thoughtful. And the thing that's sort of governing those thoughts are these higher level priorities, values, and purpose.
0: As I think about that, another exercise a boss once had me do was write down my values on a piece of paper because he was like, if if you don't write them down, then they're just gonna be nebulous in your head, but when you write them down and you can look at them, they start to become real to you. And I didn't appreciate it at the time, but his time has gone on, and i've you know I've thought about those values. I have been you know before even reading happier Hour, being deliberate with my time and and actually structuring it around those values. And, you know, my, my, as much as like craziness that's gone on in my life, I feel like my overall level of happiness has gone up when I stayed true to those. It's when I lived like a sand filled life before that, where it was just all over the place where, yeah, there was like an uneasiness, an anxiety, like a low level humming stress in the background Mm -hmm. that, uh, I didn't see before. And so I, I really appreciated, again, your book, Dr. Holmes, of you make it very practical because like you said, we're not going to grab like academic research papers, but the book, your stories, everything that's in there is is very applicable, very practical to people who are very busy like myself. And uh, I just, I love that message. If anything, it reaffirmed, like you said, the stuff that I was kind of like moving towards anyways.
1: Awesome. Well, I am so happy that it was validating and perhaps guiding. And my purpose in writing it is to make people happy. So like, you know, I, what we didn't talk about, but which I talk about in the book, and I think you've talked about on on this podcast before is the importance of knowing your purpose of what are the goals, like values is what's important to you, but what are you sort of driven towards your purpose? And I am through my work, I've actually become very clear about my purpose is generating knowledge about what makes people happy and disseminating it so that more people can apply it to be happier. And it's all about how you spend your time. And so I am grateful that you gave me an opportunity to, um, you know, share some of these with your listeners and hopefully happier hour will sort of fill it out even more and help readers understand how to invest their time for greater fulfillment.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I I said that I was kind of working that out on my own, but like, that's a lot of books. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of trial and error I've been going through. So listeners, like you can literally just pick up her book and avoid all the crap that I've been through. (laughs) And just, (laughs) You don't have to learn the hard way. You can read Happier Hour and live life much easier, much sooner than I did.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you.
0: If they want to learn more about you and your work, Dr. Holmes, wh- where can they connect with you? Where can they find you?
1: So I am not on social media because I practice That's what smart. I teach, <laughs> um, but my website, www.cassiemholmes.com. There uh, is my research uh, as well as information about the book and where I'll be presenting and speaking And so my website, CassieMHolmes.com, is how you can find out more. And of course, through reading Happier Hour, which is the compilation of sort of my 15 years of research and teaching that is hopefully in a digestible and enjoyable to read format.
0: It was. It was. It was a great, great book. Five stars on Amazon. Um, (laughs) Thanks. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time today. This was awesome. And even more so, like, thank you for writing that book, like you said, It's 15 years of your life boiled down into a couple hundred pages that I think you're going to help so many people. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Thank you again for listening to another episode of From the Green Notebook podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us five stars wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps us gain visibility and the opportunity to help more people on their leadership journey. Also, make sure you check out our website at www.com from the com. There, you can listen to past episodes, read leadership articles written by military leaders from around the world. You can sign up for our monthly reading list email where you can learn about new books that are coming out and our Sunday reflection email that comes out every Sunday morning. is really short. It's a two-minute read, but I guarantee you it's gonna start your week off on the right foot. Finally, make sure you follow us on Twitter at FTG notebook. And you can find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for From the Green Notebook. Again, thank you so much for coming on this journey with us. I am humbled by the opportunity to learn these lessons alongside you. So please join us next week for another episode of From the Green Notebook, where we're going to help you lead with the best version of yourself. I came from the mind. There's a-